0: day. Uh, we're just going to continue in a message series, but I wanted to, to let you know a few things. Just give you a couple little updates on a couple things, and then we'll dive into the service. Um, one of those things is this Wednesday night, uh, we'll be having a prayer night. Uh, here's what prayer nights are. It's a night where we come together at 630 until 730, and it's us as a family, as a church, we pray together. Um, there's no worship. There's, it's, not, it's not a big like service production. It's literally one hour where we gather together and we pray. Uh, we believe for God to work uh, in our communities, and our church, and in our lives. So I'd encourage you um, to, to make that a priority, if you can, Wednesday night, 6.30, um, and, and just come pray with us. Uh, also, I wanted to give you guys an update. You know, uh, At Northwood Church, and if you're newer here, um, like, or you've been around church for a long time, or maybe this is your first time ever being in church, and you're like, wow, what is this place? Uh, Northwood Church is this. We're one church, we're actually in four different locations. So we've got a location here in Long Beach. We've got one in Gulfport. We've got one in Wiggins. And we've got our newest location is in Ocean Springs. Uh, in Ocean Springs, we launched that January of 2022. And it was a unique launch to us because for the first time ever, we, we launched a church in a setup and teardown facility, which is essentially this, we rent, we lease the Civic Center in Ocean Springs, and we, we secured a long-term lease. So we've been uh, setting up church every Sunday morning, like I think the team gets there, like kind of like some of them 5.30-ish, like setting up, and then after service happens, they bring the system down and put things back in order, and uh, God's been faithful to build his church, but I wanted to give you an update Uh, We let the Ocean Springs location know last week. We want to update you because we are one church in four locations. Uh, A week and a half ago, we went on and bought a permanent facility in Ocean Springs at Northwood Church. And uh, Realistically, it's about a year to 14 months out uh, from remodeling, reconstructing. We've got a dream and we've got people that are coming that are going to help design this thing for us. Uh, But we are so excited. It's actually about four spaces down from the Civic Center where we are right now. Uh, We put a sign up there uh, a couple days ago that says, Future Home of Northwood Church. And uh, we are just so excited. Another another thing that your giving goes to is advancing the gospel in our local community. So I wanted to commend you and appreciate you for being faithful, uh, not just in Long Beach but all across the Mississippi Gulf Coast. I can tell you this: at the Ocean Springs location, when they heard that we bought a building, (laughs) (laughs) y'all, we are excited. So uh, that's that's a blessing. Uh, for Northwood Church, and we believe that God's going to continue to be faithful and build his church over in Jackson County, so we're excited about that. I also wanted to take just a second, and then we'll dive into today's message. I wanted to appreciate you guys, and here's the reason I wanted to do that. Uh, October is Pastors Appreciation Month, and a lot of you have reached out through text or through Facebook or through cards or through just different things and appreciated me and my family, and every time I get something like that or we get that, Um, I think about the people on the other side of that card. And the truth is, pastoring is terrible without people. And sometimes it's terrible with people. (laughs) (laughs) The church is full of people. And there's some people that are hurting. There's some people that are broken. Uh, We're all broken and hurting if we were all honest. But we don't have to be honest right now. But uh, I wanted to say thank you. Seriously, for for allowing me and my family uh, to lead you guys in vision, uh, to lead you guys in the Great Commission right here on the Gulf Coast, and uh, you know the dream in our heart when we opened Northwood Church Long Beach almost nine years ago, it's eight and a half years old now, um, is right in front of us. So uh, I just wanted to tell you guys thank you for allowing us to pastor you, and uh, I think we're going to continue to be a church uh, that loves one another well that loves God a whole lot, that acknowledges our faults, but at the same time doesn't just allow, doesn't just justify our faults, but we continue to create environments like this. I actually believe that a tailgate environment is another environment that we're gonna accomplish a few different things. Every environment that we build is geared towards helping people know God. I would love it if when you walked out of this room today, you'd say, huh, I know God a little bit more uniquely. Uh, more differently. I've got a new angle on God, or I've experienced God in a new way. We exist to create environments that help people know God, uh, to grow in Christ, which means becoming more like Jesus and a little bit less like ourselves. Like some of those things that don't line up with Jesus, we're not going to use our faults as crowbars to manipulate the Word of God, but we're going to allow the Word of God to transform the people that we are. And then we want to be a church that helps people go in the power of the Holy Spirit and make a difference. So um, seriously, fr- from myself, from my family, my wife, and three kids. Um, pastoring is not always easy. It's not. And I almost feel a responsibility to be honest with you guys. Uh, there's been many tears over you. Many tears, many prayers. But it's worth it. It's worth it. We love you. Can I pray over you guys? And then we're going to get started. Father, I thank you uh, for, for allowing us to lead this church. So God, I pray that we'd continue to be a church that loves one another well, um, that's forgiving, that's forbearing, um, that cares deeply for one another, that wins together, that walks through losses together. Uh, my prayer is, is actually quite simple. God, that we'd be a church that looks a lot like you. So God, I pray that you would help us, even in a message like today, um, to know you more, to grow in becoming more like you, God, to go in the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in this message series called Devotions. And what Devotions is, is we are taking our time walking through the one-year Bible readings. And essentially what we're doing as a team is we're looking at the seven days of a week at the readings from the Bible. And as we're reading them, As we're reading these readings, and you guys are are reading a lot of the one-year Bible readings as well, we are saying, God, what's the message in this? What do you want to share uh, with your people? It's a lot like uh, you have that moment um, where it's a devotion time, where you spend 15, 20 minutes in the morning or sometime uh, reading the Bible, and like God speaking to you. What we're doing is we're reading the one-year Bible, and our goal in this series is to explore the Bible together like to actually dig into it a little bit and grow, and then also to learn how to apply what the Bible says, uh, apply it to our lives. Sometimes when you just read the Bible, it's like, what exactly is this saying? How does this, what does this mean for me? Um, so we're, we're training ourselves how to do that. Um, in 2 Timothy, the Bible tells us, it tells us that the Bible's really good uh, for all of us. It says this in 2 Timothy, it says, All Scripture is breathed out by God, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. We learned last week, and we've talked about this several times, that the Bible, it's oftentimes referred to as the Word of God. And essentially, the God, God has spoken through man to man, to us, and it's his authority in the Scripture. It's not man's opinion. It's not like we've, we've just come up with this stuff and said, hey, go for it. This is what it says. But we genuinely believe that the Bible is God's word, and because it's God's word, it's his authority. It's what he says. In the same way, if I said, hey, hey, Samuel, I want you to go tell Mr. Rusty back there this and say it's from me. Well, Samuel wouldn't be telling Mr. Rusty something and Mr. Rusty's having to say, "Okay, Samuel," like he Samuel's simply a deliverer of Micah's word. And that's what the Bible is. It is a tool of God, his word to mankind. And we believe if God is speaking that we should tune our ear to him, align ourselves with it and allow What God says to us to shape us. So today what we're doing is we're going to look at one of the readings. It's Psalm 100, actually. So if you've got your Bible, you can open to Psalm 100. We'll also have the scriptures on the screen. But to give you just a quick summary of what Psalm 100 is so that we can get some context for it. This is what Psalm 100 is. It is a formal call to worship. And what it is, it's this call, It's, it's getting God's people's attention, and it's calling the people to praise, and it's calling people to thanksgiving for God's goodness, for his love, for his faithfulness. Actually, Psalm 100 is a benediction for chapters 95 through 99, and you'll see the psalmist saying all throughout there, it's this constant reminder of what God has done. He's sharing with God's people. He's like, hey, don't forget God did this. Remember he was faithful when this was going on. Remember he delivered us out of wilderness. Remember he did this. Remember he's doing this for us now. Remember, remember, and because of all these things that God has done, Psalm 100 is an instruction to praise and to offer thanksgiving to this remarkable, incredible God. As we've been going through this devotion series, and really we're trying to help as we read the Bible, how to read the Bible and make the Bible not about us, but about the proper context, about who it is. So as we're reading, we're asking three questions. And if you've paid attention, uh, you'll realize these are the three points in every single message of the devotions message series. But here's the questions: It's, hey, reading this scripture, what do I learn about God? That's the first thing. Like, this ain't about me. Don't instantly apply. Don't say, okay, that's me, 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 me. No, what do I observe? What do I learn about God through what I'm reading? The second one is what do I learn just about people? What do I learn about humanity? And then the third one is what does God want me to do with, with what I'm reading? Like, what's the call to action? And I believe that as we read the Bible, with these three questions that we'll see the Bible for what it's supposed to be. I believe that it'll align, we can align our, our lives with it. So Psalm 100, we'll read the entire chapter together right now. It's only five verses, don't worry. And then we are going to spend the entire service, this is dramatic right here, going through the entire chapter of Psalm 100. This is what it says. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Don't forget, we're reading What's the question? What do I observe about God? Think about these questions. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Verse 4, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. What do I learn about God? Point one, thought one. We observe through these five verses that the Lord is God, and that the Lord is good. There's emphasis on both of these things, and we'll dive into them a little bit, but the Lord is God, and the Lord is good. You're thinking, wow, where'd you pull that out of? Psalm 100, verse three said, know that the Lord, he is God. Pretty simple observation, so it's a, it's a declarative statement that describes who the Lord is. Know that the Lord, he is God. Verse 5, you're thinking, well, how did you come up with that this God is good? Because I've got my own opinions about this God that we're talking about. Verse 5 says this, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures Forever. Forever. You ever tried to imagine forever? It's fun until it's not fun. When your brain kind of goes... I think every person... It usually happens when we're younger that we imagine forever. Like, or infinity. I saw someone dressed up as Buzz Lightyear for the costume contest that will be taking place a little earlier. Like, to infinity and beyond. Like, never ending For the Lord is good and his steadfast love endures forever. The truth is humanity does not know what that type of love is anywhere apart from God. All human love is conditional. Even the closest loves. It's all conditional. At some point, you can break the love because of actions. Or whatever you might say. At some point, all human love Meets and in the closest thing that we can get to of this type of love in our minds. And if you don't have kids, you're just going to have to go there with you. But if you do have kids, it's the love for a parent for their child. And like, like your kids, more than likely, unless they're Christ, are going to mess up. But even in the mess ups, like it hurts. But ah, there's still this just love, this this depth of love. The way the Bible teaches us about this forever love is that that little speck of love that we have, that we think is the biggest, that's like just a glimpse of the type of love that God has, that endures forever. And then it says his faithfulness is to all generations. When we look at the entirety of the text, even if we just look at the last five chapters in Psalm, it begins to tell us about this God. It begins to describe who God actually is. And Psalm 100 says that he is the creator of all things. Like that's, that's pretty lofty. Like when we make something. Think about think about like um, when you went to your parents. And you showed them something that you made. That you were like ultra proud of. That was, that was okay at best. <laughs> like. The creator of all things, the one who created all things, who sustains all things and will continue to sustain all things. It says that he's all-powerful. There's nothing more powerful. The Bible says that he's all-knowing. Wow, your love endures forever even though you know all the things about me? Man, the only way I keep love on a human playing field is hiding the true me from people. God, you know everything and you still love? He's all-powerful, he's all-knowing. It says that he's omnipresent, which means he's everywhere at all times. It says that he's good, he's faithful, he's sovereign, he's holy, he's truth, he's absolute truth, he's righteous, he's just, he's above all things, he's love. The Bible actually suggests that God God, what he does is love because he is love. He is the personification of love itself. He's merciful. He's never changing. Like When we start to get a whole glimpse of who God is, it's remarkable that somebody that incredible would want to even be close to us. Like, for real. Like, let's just go there for a little bit. Like, why would a God like that even have any interest in someone like us. And I'm not here to beat you up, but all of us are fatally flawed. We've all got issues. We've all got things in our life. And then this God that knows all things continues to love. And it says that his love will continue to endure forever. And the amazing thing about this is is even as big as God actually is, and like these words that we're saying, the only way that this becomes alive in us is through the revelation that only the Holy Spirit can provide. Like, all these words only mean something if the Holy Spirit illuminates that truth in your life. This is true not just for people that are in this room. This is true for all of humanity. So why do some people get it and some people don't? You would think with this being the truth, everyone should run to this and fall to their knees and worship and be like, this is the most incredible thing ever. But this is not something that just our generation is facing. This is how it always has been. Matter of fact, when Jesus was walking the earth, he had people remarkably close to him. That it took a while for God to flip the switch and for For not just their head to know, but for their heart to know. It took revelation. There's a story in Matthew chapter 16 where Peter has a revelation that Jesus is the Son of God. He says it, it's it's this really sweet story. I'd encourage you to read it, Matthew chapter 16. But there's this moment where Jesus and Peter are having a conversation, and Peter himself says, No, you're the Christ. You're not just the carpenter's son, Jesus. I know some people think that's who you are, but what I'm observing about you is you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus himself says, Peter, flesh and blood have not revealed this to you. You didn't read that in the textbook. My God, my Father has revealed that to you. And the only way That we can actually believe here and here that God is God and that he is good. Is that the Holy Spirit would illuminate that in your heart. So for some of you that have been around church a long time, I think some of you have forgotten about that. The Lord used to be good. Remember when you gave your life to Jesus and God is so good. He forgave me, he saved me, he set me free. What happened to that good God in your life? Maybe this is a call to remember. Have you forgotten who God is? Some of you for the first time are hearing about this and you're like, this God is pretty remarkable. But we have to observe not just attributes of who God is in this story. Let's go to the next question and ask ourselves this what do I learn about people in this? So if this is what God is, this is who God is, what do I observe about people? And in Psalm 100, we see some pretty key things. People are made by God. They're made by God to belong to God. Made by him to belong or be close to him And it actually shows us that every single one of us, whether we even know it or not, or acknowledge it or not, we all have a very deep need for God. And if you're a proud person, this is a struggle. Two of these statements are a huge struggle. And I get it. The statements that are a struggle is to belong to God. I ain't nobody's possession. I am who I am. Sound like Dr. Seuss, but you guys kind of get what I am? Like, no, I am me, and I'm going to go the way that I want to go, but the scriptures tell us that we were made by God to belong to God, and the one that really messes us up says that we all actually have a deep need for God. To have a need for something means that you in and of yourself can't accomplish that which that outside force can accomplish. Have you ever actually needed help? Like, for real needed help. And you could not accomplish what you needed the help for? The first time I ever had a flat tire, I had a deep need. That was because I didn't know how to change a tire. And you're on the side of the road. And guys, gals, some of you are like, well, that's on you, Micah. Maybe it is. But... The truth is I had a need. And you know how humbling it is to watch car after car after car pass by you and you can't do a thing about it? Now my story is I sat there until a fireman came and saved the day. (laughs) And I learned how to change a tire the very next day. But then we start to say, well, do I actually have a deep, I get it about tires, but not about my life. The scripture says, it is he who made us, and we are his, and we're the sheep of his pasture. He's our creator, we are his creation. He is our shepherd, and we're actually incomplete without him. Deep down inside of every single one of us, we have this deep desire to obtain things that only God can give. All of us deep down inside, we want to experience joy in our life. And if I said, hey, how many of you guys want to have joy in your life? Every single person would say yes, because that's a need that all of us have. All of us deeply desire to have peace in our life. But oftentimes we substitute or manufacture joy with temporary happiness and we spend our entire life attempting to achieve joy through momentary happiness and by buying things, by being with people, by going on vacations, by whatever makes you happy. (laughs) Some people live for Sundays and please understand what I'm about to say, don't get mad at me. Some people live for Saturdays and Sundays because that's the moment they achieve happiness because they cheer for a certain sports team. And you build your whole week to get to this three-hour window. And if you have a bad sports team, you never experience joy. <laughs> Shout out the two and five saints, you know. I'm sorry, sorry, sorry. But no, what happens is we're all searching for happiness. Happiness. But then you start to read the Bible and it says that God has actually manufactured us this way and he's built and created a way for us to actually achieve the things that we deeply desire, but it's to be connected to him. It says, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is peace and peace is not the absence of trouble. Peace is a position of the soul that even though trouble is all around, I will not fear. So we work our entire life to eliminate the troublesome things all around us when God's saying, hey, I have peace available for you if you'll just be connected to me. Shepherd. We are his sheep. Depend on the shepherd. You want joy instead of happiness? Joy doesn't mean you have to go on vacations. Joy is, again, a position of the soul. It's what you're anchored to. And the only way that we can achieve the things that we deeply desire is is that we would be connected to the very source of those things. It says that we're sheep. We're lost without a shepherd. Do I have any sheep farmers in here? Perfect. Then you won't know if I'm telling the truth or not, okay? <laughs> I was doing a little sheep research this week. And, you know, sheep are are known to be not the most intelligent animal, but most sheep farmers say they're actually super intelligent, like they're defending the sheep. But here's some observations of what sheep do without a shepherd. Do you know that sheep without a shepherd walk in circles? I watched a video of them. It's hilarious. Sheep just walk in circles, and without other sheep around them, they don't eat. They just walk in circles. Don't be a sheep at the tailgate party in a minute. (laughs) Like, hey, no 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 for real. Like what I'm super excited for about the tailgate party, but also what I'm super nervous of, here you go, Pastor's heart right here, is that people that this will be your first impression of community and either you'll be too nervous to reach out and step in a circle and meet some friends, or that my community won't be big enough to open their arms and, and welcome. Don't just walk in circles don't just walk in circles. It says they followed some sheep and they never ate for like 10 days straight. They walked in a circle. They became malnourished and they fell over dead because they didn't have a shepherd. Sheep often think grass is greener on the other side. That's why they are known to try to jump through fences and get caught because the grass looks, that's, that's way tastier over there. And without a shepherd keeping them in check, they get caught. They get in danger. Uh, Without a shepherd shearing sheep, sheep's wool gets hot. Uh, When it rains, it gets so hot and it gets so smelly that it begins to attract blowflies. And without proper grooming, these blowflies lay maggots in their skin. They become incredibly diseased. A lot of complications because the sheep are without a shepherd. At the end of the day, the Bible tells us that we are sheep. I saw this video, didn't know how it was going to apply, but I think it's funny enough to share with you what sheep do without proper shepherding. It's real quick. Sheep is stuck. Shepherd, a friend helping the sheep, he gets unstuck, run for your life, you're free. We're sheep, y'all? We're sheep. Somebody like, now that preaches. I get that. That's me. Oh, they even went slow-mo. Like sheep are prone to wander off. It's just in their nature, and what usually happens is they wander off when things are good, when their belly is full, when things are just at a peak, they kind of wander off. Our hearts are prone to wander off and we forget who God is. Most of the times, humanity is bent just to find the shepherd when things are bad. But I'm here to say I think the most dangerous time for sheep to wander off and to get into bad spots is when things are actually good. But this isn't new. This isn't just because it's 2022. This is how it's always been in Psalm 78, 22 chapters before the one that we're reading. The psalmist is reflecting on this. And what it is is for like six chapters before chapter 78, um, you see the Israelites, you see the people of God experiencing great success. And generations are experiencing success. And then something happens And in verse 11 of chapter 78, it says this, they forgot his works. They forgot everything that God had done. They forgot how good God actually is. They forgot what God has actually done. It says that they had shown him. My question to you is have you forgotten what God has done for you? Have you? And the only way that we can actually understand that is through the gospel. Knowing that we are hopeless apart from Christ. The Bible teaches us that every single one of us, it doesn't matter. Our upbringing, it doesn't matter. um, If we did a lot of really good things, it doesn't matter about our humanitarian efforts. The Bible teaches us that everyone has fallen short of God's standard. But God created us to be close to him. God created us to be close to the shepherd. That was God's desire for us. But sin entered into the world. And we've all inherited this sin. So sin has an extremely high price to pay. It says, because God is so good, remember all these things we just talked about, God? Like, he is good, he is powerful, he is holy, he is righteous. Because God is so elevated in who he is, he can only be around something that is good, that is holy, that is righteous. And y'all, we are not good, holy, or righteous perfectly. We're not. I'm not, you're not. Like, let's, let's, Let's just be honest for a second. We've all messed up. We've all fallen short. But because God is so good and because God loves so much, because he is so merciful, he says, even though you messed up, I still want to be close to you. So we got to do something about it. And all throughout the Old Testament, he's making a way for people to get close to him again, to be close to him, to to reconnect to his presence. And you see it through the tabernacle. You see it all throughout the Old Testament. And then humanity changes and the world changes in a moment with the birth of a man named Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God, sent to earth to live a perfect life a good life, a holy life, a righteous life. Remember the type of life that's required to be close to God? To do it for 33 years, roughly, and get to that spot where you say, okay, I've been good, I've been holy, I've been righteous, I've I've inherited closeness to God, right? But because of all of our sin and because of all the centuries before and the centuries after, This good, holy, righteous, true man named Jesus lays down his life as a payment or a sacrifice for your sin, for my sin. This is the gospel. This is the truth. And what I'm asking you, or maybe God's trying to remind you of, is have you forgotten what God has actually done for you. And the Bible says that whoever believes in him, whoever surrenders their life to that message, they'll be saved. And the ridiculous thing about this whole story is because the way we see ourselves is, okay, we messed up, we, we made it right, but like we still live with baggage in our mind of what we've done and we live under shame and condemnation, it says when God looks at us after we've surrendered our life to Jesus and what he's done on the cross, he doesn't see us in what we've done. Like, he doesn't view us through those lenses or those those filters anymore. It says that he actually sees us through the sacrifice, the blood, the atoning work of the pure sacrifice, of the one that was holy, the one that is good, the one that is righteous. Think about when you apply a filter on Snapchat, Instagram, or I don't know if Facebook has them, but I tried to cover all generations there, okay? (laughs) When you apply a filter, it changes the very way that you look. The filter that's applied to the lives of a person that surrendered their life to Jesus is the blood of Jesus. And that's not some scary Halloween thing. That's a purifying, a righteous thing. Don't forget that. So in observation of this, the third question, and this is where we'll wind it down, what does God want me to do with this? After observation about who God is and about people, what does God want me to do? Well, I believe the answer is God wants us to praise him. God wants us to praise him, and we see that from the verses, verse 1 and 4. It says, make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Verse 4 says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. Because of this, because of how good God is, because of everything that he's done, the only logical response is to praise. Is to Extend worship is to praise and be thankful for what he has done. Now, there is a difference between worship and praise. Praise is not reserved for Christianity, praise is simply something that people do for something that they are affectionate of. Praise is getting excited. Praise, praise, and this is not like idolatry or anything, but there when you are at a football game and you like Get loud, you scream, that's praise. And some people would go to what I would consider an extreme end of the spectrum and say, that's false idol, that's idolatry, that's false worship. No, worship is different. Praise is simply celebrating, releasing sound, those types of things. There's all different types of words in there, but we're actually called to at times praise. And in a second, you'll have that opportunity. But We're called to worship, and worship a lot of times, especially in our church, we believe that worship is those 20 minutes at the beginning of a service, when that's so far from what worship actually is. That's an element of it, but worship is a lifestyle. What we are living for is what we are worshiping all the time. We are called to live a life of worship. Which brings the question up what or or who are we worshiping? In the Bible, it talks about the gathering when the assembly would come together. And it says different ways that we can worship God. We can worship Him. Uh, there was a whole bunch of Hebrew words, but this is what they meant. It says, we can, we worship with our voice, we worship with our hands. That's why sometimes people lift their hands. I remember the first time I went into a church and I saw that. I saw some people dancing and I was like, what is happening here? Worship is happening. Praise is happening. We worship with our hands. We worship with our body. We worship with instruments. But we also worship with our obedience throughout the week. We also worship... With our gifts, our talents. Like some of you, all of you are gifted. We believe that God handcrafted you when you were in your mother's womb and he deposits gifts, talents, passions. And the way that you utilize those things is worship. That you submit your gifts, your talents, I mean, you're a school teacher. Then be the best school teacher in the world, but do it for the glory of God. There's a lot of times on our way to school in the morning, that we say a prayer, God, we're going to work hard today. God, I pray that we would work thinking and knowing that we're working not just to get a good grade on a test, but we're working actually to glorify God. I don't believe that to be super religious or, oh, you're, you're doing, no, no, no. I believe that we're called to live a life of worship. And everything that we do, that we would do it for the glory of God and the truth is it'll be good for us too most of the time. Why? Because of what God has done. Because of who he is. I'll end with this. In the Old Testament and all throughout history, kings demanded worship and praise from their servants or their constituents. And they demanded worship, but the only way that they would get worship is through fear tactics. <laughs> like they would literally say, if you don't, this is what's gonna happen. So people would worship out of a response of fear. The truth is that's how all other religions are as well. It's built on a deeds and a work system and if you do enough, you'll get closer to me. God will be more pleased with you if you do just the right amount of service, if you read this enough, if you meet enough people, if you do these things and we work our way up the ladder of what? God knew that we were going to fail, that we would fall short, that we could never work up the ladder of perfection and achieve righteousness. So what does God do? He comes down to us, Jesus. And that is why we worship. That's why we praise. Who is God? What do we observe about people? And what do we do with this? I think we praise. I think we worship. So how this is gonna look is we're gonna sing two more songs and then we're done. And I'm gonna ask you, to spend the next eight to 10 minutes in praise and worship. For some of you, this is going to be a moment where you're like realigning, you're recalibrating, like that. Those and that's cool. Some of you need to surrender your life to Jesus. You just heard this thing, and you're like, what Jesus has done for me, I'm going to spend some time like in prayer and thanksgiving. We're going to sing two songs, the goodness of God, so you can sing about the goodness of God of what he's done in your life. And then we're gonna sing a song called Glory, Honor, and Power. There's a part in that that's actually a reference to Psalm 68, I believe. And it talks about when the Israelites would praise that something special would happen. It says that God himself was enthroned on the praises of his people. So when we gather together and worship, we are putting God in his rightful spot on the throne. And this is the promise, according to the scripture, that God inhabits. He comes into the midst of the praises of his people. So I'm gonna ask you to praise. And I believe by the end of these two songs that we will know God in a better way. Stand to your feet. God, today, in this moment, we choose to respond to your goodness with praise and thanksgiving. So God, our prayer is that you would be faithful to your scripture. God, that you would be enthroned on our praises and God, that you would inhabit this place. As praises of your people rise up, let's. Pray.